I'm Tim Kittrow, and you're tuned in to the Important Nonsense Podcast with Steve Bonham. Attention, Alan Hearn's mom. His knee is better. (laughs) You can stop worrying. Neil Smith. Even with the concussion, as long as he's cleared, probably don't have a better option. Jack Kavanaugh. Raheem Mostair, as I would like to call him. And Jason Draven. Nah, man. Just let's watch some football. Boom shakalaka. Hello, 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 and welcome into the Important Nonsense Podcast, Return of the Jedi, I mean, Important Nonsense Podcast, Return of the Kit, no, sorry, that's already a thing too. Uh, Anyways, probably should have workshopped the name ahead of time, but anyways, it's the Important Nonsense Podcast, and we are back. I'm your host, at Javanaugh87, Jack Kavanaugh, and we are back for another fantabulous season of football. The draft is over. The 90-player rosters are kind of set-ish. We still see some movement like Tim Tebow coming back to the NFL. But anyways, all this means it is officially redraft season, which of course means we are joined by the always interesting, at that FF nerd, it's Jason Draven. Jason, how is it going, my friend? Man, I just missed you so much this offseason that I literally had to watch Letterkenny to get the accent and all the hysterics that you normally bring <laughs> to the show oh, into the pod. I mean, it, it just, I just needed it. It filled my life up when there wasn't any football. So I was really pumped for that. And then I'm so excited for this episode with us going over the ranking summit and how much I learned since it was my first time. But... Not a surprise to anybody that I got picked on for the entirety of it, so just part of the games. So, how about you? How are you doing, Jack? I mean, you kind of deserved it, let's be honest. Some of your takes are wild, as always, but I will admit that's why I missed you, because of your wild takes. It's great to be reunited with you. Great. It was just too long. It was really too long, but it's not just Jason. We are getting the band back together, and we are joined by at Donald McJordan. It's Jordan McDonald. Jordan, what have you been up to since we last spoke? Uh, not too much. I'm just trying to write out this pandemic in Canada. Uh, Jason brought up Letterkenny. I just want to let people know if you have heard of Letterkenny, it doesn't accurately reflect Canadians. So please don't think that's how Canadians act. Um, we're just a little bit less, um, let, let's say, rambunctious than the characters on that show. Uh, but yeah, we, we had the ranking summit last week. I had a great time. And I'm excited to go over everything. Excited to go over some of the, the big, uh, big points that were made during the summit. Yeah, definitely hogwash on that. I that Letterkenny is a direct correlation to your life. Yeah, I agree to disagree on this one, Jason. But giddy up because the band is back together, and we are on a mission for the 2021 season. But we are also joined by a new friend as well. Please give a warm welcome to at underscore Mike underscore Manning. It's Mike Manning. So Mike is going to be part of the redraft team this season. Say hello to everyone, Mike. Hey everyone, glad to be here. You know, the new guy on for the first time this year. Excited to do it. It's the lull season of fantasy football, but as we all know, there's never actually a dead season in fantasy football. So I'm excited to get going on this and was glad to join the summit as well. It was a really interesting, you know, seeing everyone's viewpoints. So let's see how it gets going. Pleasure to have you here, Mike. And before we get started, just to explain what the ranking summit was, it's all of the people on the important nonsense ranking team, plus a couple others, a couple people just wanted to join and spectate as well. And so we all come together, go through our positional touches, our uh, targets, our receptions, our carries, 
break them all down, see who's going to get what, and then come up with our projections for the teams and players from there. And since I'm the host, I make the show, I make the rules, and we're going to start off with some of the rankings that make me very happy. We're going to kick things off with what should be the Super Bowl favorites, the Baltimore Ravens. They knocked the draft out of the park. Lamar Jackson gets his true wide receiver one, a target hog, a true alpha, which will take this passing game to the next level when they took Rashad Bateman 27th overall in the 2021 NFL draft. And with the improvements on offense, we're also kind of building in some regression on defense. They lost some of their top defensive linemen. The model that at nonsense underscore Steve, Steve Bonham has put together has Lamar Jackson with 522 pass attempts, which would be a career high, and 106 of them going to Rashad Bateman. A lot of people think we're crazy. This puts Rashad Bateman as a back-end wide receiver, too, and Lamar as the QB, two. And I'm absolutely here for it. I can't wait to see Lamar Jackson put up video game numbers because there has never been a quarterback in the history of fantasy football that can do what Lamar Jackson does. And now that he's finally got an alpha wide receiver one, I am all in on this duo. Is there anyone who's going to even attempt to talk me out of my bliss right now? Yes, absolutely, 100%. 522 is just insane, considering Lamar hasn't even passed over 450 times yet. It's just blowing me away. I mean, granted, since becoming the full-time quarterback in 2019, the Ravens have not thrown it over 450 times. Yeah, you heard that right. While there is hope for him with this extra game being added, I just don't see it happening. I mean, you can try and compare him to Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills offense, but at the same time, the Bills have passed over 500 times per season since Josh Allen has become the quarterback. Now, Jackson's last year had the fewest attempts so far, only behind Cam Newton's, who threw the ball eight times fewer in the 15 games that they played. Oh, and then five quarterbacks that were all above, like just right above him, included Drew Brees, who played 12 games, Joe Burrow, who played 10, Carson Wentz, who played 12, Drew Locke, who played 13, and Daniel Jones, who played 14 games. I'm just saying, there's a lot to be left wanting, and I just don't see it happening for the Ravens. Hate that you rate on my parade, but I am. I, I, I disagree. It's it's only an increase of four to five pass attempts per game. I think he can do it. What about you, Mike? I mean, even he can do that. That's the, the with the game added and with the subtle, you know, addition of just a few pass attempts. I think the biggest thing with him will be his target rate, even when on those small attempts. So he was bottom three in targeting wide receivers, just even on percentage wise. There was him, uh, Carson Wentz, and Derek Carr are the bottom three. If you look at those teams and those quarterbacks, you're looking at teams that prioritize the tight end even a lot more than the wide receiver position with guys like Dallas Goddard and Darren Waller. So I think the biggest thing for Bateman will be it's more so Jackson's targeting of wide receivers to make him succeed rather than Jackson's passing in general. I think Jackson actually will be fine in terms of his fantasy production. All right. Well, 
I think that part of the reason that re- the receiver rate kind of lags behind those targets he's not throwing outside as much is because it's, he's got Miles Boykin and he's terrible. Miles Boykin, not a wide receiver, one way too many snaps. The corpse of Des Bryant. So I think with the addition of Bateman, with the addition of Tylen Walls, with some real life pass catchers finally, I think Lamar Jackson takes that step forward. And I'm a okay with these projections, as I've said. I understand the hesitancy, but. I'm just in. What can I say? Call me a homer, but I am all in on Lamar Jackson in 2021, where I'm less okay with where we got to in the Falcons conversation. So we entered the summit with Calvin Ridley out-targeting Julio Jones 139 to 108, a gap of 31 targets for Calvin Ridley. And I, I was able to complain enough, got it pushed a little bit closer. Now it's down. We sit 129 targets for Calvin Ridley, 118 targets for Julio Jones. That's only a difference of 11, but I'm still not satisfied. I still believe Julio Jones has one year left as an elite wide receiver one. And if he doesn't get traded, I think that's the case in Atlanta. He's going to be the the monster, the target monster, the alpha. I think he still has that in him. And it really seemed like Aiden and I might have been in the mi- minority there. So where do you guys fall on the Ridley-Jones dichotomy? And is there enough meat on the bones for Kyle Pitts to reach his lofty expectations as a future Hall of Famer with these two target monsters? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I love Julio. He's still the wide receiver one. Granted, until he gets hurt or is out for whatever random injury he decides to have this week. But I do think it's closer to a 1A and a 1B situation with both receivers clearly getting over 100 targets and being the two monsters that you never know who's going to end up popping off because Julio won't get the touchdowns. just doesn't happen for the kid. But I'm guessing that he is probably, if he does get traded, well, just say if because i wouldn't suspect it to happen but second and a third round for 2022 not that bad the big plus for all the pass catchers in atlanta is the fact that matt ryan throws an insane amount of passes like it's hard not to love everybody there i mean last year he led the league throwing 626 times and ryan hasn't thrown under 600 passes since 2017 he's been the top 10 since 2017, it just blows me away the number of pass attempts that he has. And on top of that, they didn't draft an RB. They got Kyle Pitts, which is another pass casting option, and it just blows me away. Like, they need to... It's not like him. that defense got any better, too. It's still going to be bombs away for the Falcons' offense, am I right? Oh, absolutely. And, I mean, I think the even offensive line got a little better, which helps even more. And the running backs is just so iffy with David, Mike Davis and... Whoever else, Cordell Patterson, I guess, is the only other one. Uh, you're forgetting about the Javian Hawkins, who seems to be a, a popular sleeper pick heading into the season, just because of the the lack of options they do have. But if that's the case, and I'll 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 talk about Julio in a sec, but I am so high on Mike Davis just because of that, just because Arthur Smith's coming in. You saw what he did with Derrick Henry and the Titans. He, you know, if if they're gonna run that same offense, and obviously I'm not saying Mike Davis is, is Derrick Henry, but he's probably going to get a lot of work if they, if Arthur Smith is bringing over that offense. But I digress. Uh, as for Julio, I don't believe Julio will be traded because, you know, you have Matt Ryan for at least two more years. You're not going to trade him because he's got a massive dead cap if you do. And, you know, they got Kyle Pitts, so that signifies that, you know, they're trying to compete. They're trying to win games. But if he does get traded, if they make the mistake of trading Julio Jones, wheels up on Calvin Ridley and Kyle Pitts because... 
all of those targets, a hundred plus targets are for grabs. And suddenly Russell Gage is an intriguing pick to have. Russell Gage had over a hundred targets last year. And I know that Ridley and Julio had their injury problems, but that just proves my point that Russell Gage will be a very good pick to have if Julio leaves. Yeah, and you're really going Gage over Alamadei Zacchaeus? Alamadei Zacchaeus, respect his name. Mike, who are you taking? Zacchaeus or Gage? I mean, between the two, I'd have to go Russell Gage just because Zacchaeus was basically a Deshaun Jackson type for the offense or a Ted Ginn, where they just sent him deep downfield. He'd catch a 40-yard bomb and would not see too many other targets throughout the rest of the game. So, I mean, you can have that volatility, but Russell Gage, with the over 100 targets, with the injuries to both Ridley and Julio, I'm going to definitely take Russell Gage if I had to go for the third of the trio. And I'd have to sit there and say that Julio's getting this injury-prone label, but... That 2020 was the first time he's missed or played under 800 snaps and seen less than 140 targets since 2013. So, I mean, it's not exactly a repetitive thing for him. You know, he's getting up there in age, and this can be expected to... Injuries take a little bit longer to get healed from, but he still is efficient as ever and still can... We saw us from so many of the veteran receivers that they struggled through injury. We saw it with Marvin Jones. We saw it just across the board, Julio Jones, all these 30-plus-year-old receivers. They all struggled without the offseason. I truly believe with that time to reacclimate that Julio Jones is going to tear it up this year. And if the Falcons do tie themselves to Matt Ryan for two more years only to get rid of Julio Jones, then... What are we even doing here? That is ridiculous. That would be one of the dumber moves of the offseason, but it wouldn't be the worst. And it's too early to officially say what the worst move of the offseason is because the Broncos still could make a splash, could still land a Aaron Rodgers, but unless they let ah, unless they land the reigning defending undisputed MVP of the NFL, the biggest mistake of the offseason will be the Denver Broncos passing on Justin Fields in order to bring us a quarterback competition between Drew Locke and Teddy Bridgewater. That will be the dumbest move of the offseason unless they land Rodgers because it's a competition straight down the middle and I don't know how it shakes out. We have it split right down the middle between Locke and Teddy, eight and a half games apiece. So who are you guys taking and is this QB purgatory going to spell doom for the Broncos pass catchers? Yeah, I'm probably just going to take Teddy. I mean, it's the veteran guy who actually played all 15 games last year and his first like real-time starting as compared to Drew Locke, who couldn't even make it through 13 or barely made it through 13. It's just I can't see it straying from Teddy unless it just completely goes out the door and they are just so far behind that they need Drew Locke to sling it. But we saw that Teddy can do that too. So I just, I think that Teddy is a better game manager. And with it being the Broncos, I could see it working out for him. Before I give my answer, I want you guys to close your eyes and just imagine Aaron Rodgers as the Broncos quarterback. Just, just imagine that for a moment. And like, how great would that offense oh. be? Like, give me all of the shares. Give me all the Cortland Sutton, the Jerry Judy, the Noah Fant, even Javante Williams, Melvin Gordon. Give me all of those shares. Okay. Back to reality. To Jason's point, you know, Locke, I know he did play 13 games, but he wasn't benched. Like, he missed a few games, that elbow injury, and then he had that COVID 
uh, game where him and the rest of the quarterbacks had to miss a game. Kettle Hinton came in. But I still think Teddy's going to be the guy. Like, if you can hear me, I'm pounding the table for Teddy. I don't care that I, they only gave up a six-rounder. I think Teddy's going to come in, you know, chomping at the bit to get this quarterback job. I think he can win it because Locke hasn't really shown much to really, like, gra- like grasp that job. And they, weren't be tr- they wouldn't be trading for Teddy and being the Aaron Rodgers rumors. They wouldn't have rumors surrounding Aaron Rodgers if they, if they believed in Drew Locke. So I think Teddy will win this job coming out of training camp. I mean, are there really two quarterbacks that could be much more different in a competition like this? I mean, Drew Locke was known as the he's the gunslinger that's going to take the shots downfield. He's going to risk it and he's going to throw interceptions, which is what he did a lot last season and probably what Vic Fangio is not a big fan of. Knowing him as a defensive coach, the defense looks like it's going to be at least solid, if not one of the better defenses in the NFL. And Drew Locke seems to have shown what he is. is That's what he is. 2020 Drew Locke is likely what he is as a quarterback in the NFL. He's not going to make a Josh Allen-esque type jump and improve drastically on his accuracy. I mean, we know Jerry Judy was one of the best wide receivers coming out as a rookie. And he saw one of some of the most inaccurate passes that you could have seen as a wide receiver. So just as the style team that Denver is, it should be Teddy Bridgewater. It really should be Teddy Bridgewater. And like Teddy just deserves a home. I just I just want that for him. I want a city to embrace him and to love him. But Denver isn't the only team with an open quarterback competition between two veterans. For the first time in forever, the Saints will walk into a year with a starting quarterback that isn't named Drew Brees. Jameis Winston versus Taysom Hill. This is a war that we couldn't come to a consensus on, and it could have some major fantasy football implications. Who are you guys taking and why? Me and you are on the same page here because when the ranking seven was going on, we thought it was going to be Taysom's job because, man, does Sean Payton love him some Taysom Hill. Blows me away. The kid is just a great utility player, but man, I have no idea what he's going to do, and he just didn't look that great at quarterback. However, he did sign the deal, and I feel like he will end up being in a similar situation to the one that we saw in Miami last year with Ryan Fitzpatrick being the guy who came in to save the day, which will be Jameis' new job, and then Tua being the guy who they're going to let run it until he needs help. And that's when, you know, it's just, that's just how it's going to be. James is going to be the one who has to come in and be the Ryan Fitzpatrick person. And it just blows me away that they're not trusting him to do this job. So that's where I'm at on it. I mean, if Sean Payton is uh, relying on James Winston to save the day, I don't think it's going to end up well, but I, sorry, Jason, I do think it's the James Winston show for the season. Otherwise, if he had an inkling that James, sorry Taysom Hill was gonna win that job I don't think he would have came back I think he would have explored his options see where he could have went you know we saw what Taysom Hill could do as the starter when Breeze was down and and like you said it wasn't very pretty it wasn't great like he got the job done just because it's a great team around him and I didn't wasn't really convinced that he's the guy I think Taysom Hill will go back to his usual role I think he's gonna vulture a bunch of TDs from Adam Troutman sorry Jack no am I wrong though you're right but no it's gonna happen 
Uh, he's going to go back to his usual usual role of the lovable Swiss Army knife and fantasy football fever dream. I think it's Jameis Winston for this season. Yeah, no, I don't believe that for a second. I, I can't. I can't do it. Just can't do it. No. I mean, I may have to be standing corrected here in seeing this after the Teddy Locke and Drew, Teddy Bridgewater and Drew Locke comparison being the most po- polarizing quarterback competition. I mean, Jameis and Taysom could not be any more different. It's almost ridiculous. And God help us if Sean Payton wants to do the bullpen style of Taysom Hill throughout this the three quarters or three and a half quarters and then have Jameis Winston come in just to try and save the game in any way, shape, or form. I mean, I think the bigger thing here is going to be Taysom Hill will shoot most of the chances of any of the pass catchers being very relevant throughout the season, while Jameis Winston will at least give them a chance to uh, be relevant in fantasy because we know that his time with Tampa Bay, he is no, no, never against targeting a wide, one wide receiver a lot. He did it with Mike Evans throughout his entire beginning of his career, making Mike Evans the fourth highest targeted player in the NFL. Imagine that with Michael Thomas. And then the other player that's going to be hurt so bad if Taysom Hill starts is going to be Alvin Kamara because Taysom did not look his way at all. He had 15 targets in the four games with Taysom Hill. And he had 88 targets on the rest of the season, which was 20 more than any other Saint player. So I think those two players are what's going to be hoping for Jameis Winston. Yeah, and I honestly am really hoping for Jameis Winston as well. However, the kind of logical side of me says it's probably going to be about 14 games of Jameis Winston, but because he's between the benchings and Taysom Hill's kind of gadget plays, we're going to see enough of Taysom Hill. That's going to be a headache. He's going to vulture touchdowns from Michael Thomas, from Alvin Kamara. It's just it's going to be a nightmare, but I really hope we see flaming Jameis Winston slinging it around the Superdome. But that does it for the battle royale among veteran quarterbacks. We do have three rookie QBs who are looking to take the reins in 2021 in an open competition. We'll start with the best of the three, the one who looks set to start the most games out of outside of Lawrence and Wilson. We know that Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson will start 16 games. It's Justin Bleeping Fields. Justin Fields is the second best quarterback in the class. The Jets, the 49ers, they both made mistakes when they took Trevor, or sorry, when they drafted Zach Wilson and Trey Lance, respectively. And I am ready to bear witness to 16 starts from Justin Fields at minimum as he waltzes his way to offensive rookie of the year because the Chicago. Bears are back, baby. Yeah, I definitely think and you're wrong here just because I really think it's Andy Dalton. Come on. No, I, I, I can't help it, man. Andy Dalton? Yes. Andy Dalton over the physical athletic specimen a specimen with just a cannon of an arm and so accurate. Justin Fields, you're going with Andy Dalton? Yeah, I am because I like oh, him. My. I love the... Red Rocket going all the way, doing his thing. He's going to sling it around. I am so pumped to see Allen Robinson and Darnell Mooney just tear up defenses because Mooney just gets so wide open every game last year, and it drove me insane that nobody would get in the ball. Andy Dalton is that guy, so I think that he at least has a job for 12 games, at least 12 games. 
At least we agree on Darnell Mooney. However, it's going to be Justin Fields throwing it deep to Darnell Mooney. But I digress. Jordan settled the debate. Can I just say that anybody listening, that Jason is not a parody account. This is Jason being serious. Um, <laughs> I, I, I just want to say one thing that I, I hate this, but I'm going to agree with Jason. And I think yes. that Dal- I think that Dalton will start the year as as the quarterback, the starting quarterback. But the leash is extremely small because, you know, like Pace and Nagy are relying on Justin Fields to be their savior. I mean, like how much they gave up to get him. And considering both of them have to learn the new offense, you know, Dalton's coming in this year. So is Fields. They're both learning this offense. So, you know, whoever has a grasp on it better may actually win. But I think it will be Dalton. But any sign of any sign of bad Dalton play, we might see Fields right away. So this it could possibly happen right after the first Bears offensive drive of the season. We who knows? Uh, but yeah, any any sign that Dalton is you know shaky and just can't get the job done, we'll see Fields right away. It won't even be. It, it'll be quick. I mean, I don't expect Fields to start Week One. I just think that they're comfortable with having Andy Dalton. I mean, we all saw the tweet QB one, Andy Dalton sitting there in the Chicago Bears blue. But you know that lasted really well. I just can't see them keeping him on the field past week 10, though. Because week 10, they got that bye week. And it's going to be just like it was last year with Tua and Fitzpatrick, where they're just going to let let the rookie, the highly picked rookie that is extremely talented, sit, learn, get comfortable, and just show in practice that he deserves to be on the field, even if Andy Dalton's playing relatively well. I mean, we aren't expecting Andy Dalton to blow the doors off any offense. Even last year with Dallas, even though it was a terrible offensive line, he had weapons, and those weapons did fine, but they definitely weren't, you know, producing at the level that they should. So I'd have to say that Dalton's pretty close to being Fitzpatrick. The thing I just keep coming back to is general manager Ryan Pace and head coach Matt Nagy. They will both be fired if the Bears don't make a solid playoff run, and Andy Dalton just can't do that. We saw it in... Cincinnati for the longest time. They just couldn't make that playoff run when they had a phenomenal roster. It's J-F-F-O-B, Justin Effing Fields or Bust in my mind, but free Allen Robinson and free Darnell Mooney with Justin Fields. But enough about my love for Justin Fields. And if anyone is looking to get me a birthday present, get me a Justin Fields number one Chicago Bears jersey. But anyways, Not the only number one that I'm excited for this season. Superman is back in New England. Cam Newton is the starter for the Patriots. But how long can he hold off rookie first-round pick out of Alabama? Mac Jones. And that's really not the only competition brewing in the Northeast. Patriots' backfield is unsettled as well. Damian Harris, Sony Michelle, James White, J.J. Taylor, and rookie Ramondre Stevenson will be competing for touches. So how does this Patriots offense shake out in 2021? Well, I think it's pretty obvious that it's Cam. I mean, that's what they want. They brought him back. They're going to keep it, let him allow Mac to figure out the offense. And I just, I'm so mad that you think that anybody outside of Damian Harris is going to be running that backfield. He just looks. I didn't say I think. I said we have to talk about it. Okay, Jason, I'm with you today. I guess that's fair. To be fair, I understand that's perfectly fine. Again, it's Harris. It's the guy you want there because he just looks so much better than Sony in every part of the game. I just, ugh. 
Uh, it's going to be a mess, but I love Harris. I just wish that Cam would actually hand it off to him more because they matched the same rushing attempts, him and Cam, and it's just disgusting last year that they did that. So I, I can't. Harris is just so much better than Sony that it just makes me sick to think he has any shot at it. So I'll mention the uh, forgotten running back in this backfield. Uh, apologies in advance to the dozens of Sony Michelle truthers out there. Yes, to to quote Tobias Funke from the rest of Element, there are literally dozens of us. I, I that might be stretching a bit. I don't even know if there's dozens of them. Uh, but we are uh, we are down on Sony Michelle at important nonsense. We have him with no projections whatsoever. Uh, I don't know if that's going to happen. I just, this backfield is, is crazy. I would love to live in a world where the Patriots backfield is cut and dry with Damian Harris being the thunder and James White as the lightning. But we all know that's it's not going to be that simple. We will see J.J. Taylor. We will see Ramondi Stevenson. And we probably will see Sonny Michelle. And I hate saying that, but it's true. You know, hopefully it will shape out, like I said. But, you know, expect the unexpected with the Patriots backfield. As for the QB battle, if last year's Cam Newton shows up, and, you know, he probably had a lot of issues to deal with. He was learning a new playbook on a truncated offseason. He had COVID. But if he gets benched for Mac Jones, and if Mac Jones plays well, he's not getting that spot back. Like, he's not competing with Jared Stidham. Like, Jared, Jack, back me up on this. Cam Newton was benched three times for Jared Stidham. And the next game after, Belichick went back to Cam. We won't see every that every single time. Every single time. We won't see that with Mac Jones. Mac Jones, if he looks really good in his first appearance uh, via a cam benching, Mac Jones will have this job. Not only that, but even when Cam had to sit out because of the COVID game, Jarrett Stidham didn't start. They went with Brian Hoyer because Jarrett Stidham is that terrible. Anyways, and, and, wait, wait, before, before Mike goes, uh, and look who they just signed. Brian oh, Hoyer. did sign Brian. Brian Hoyer. Hoyer's on the team. Yeah. I don't know if he'll make the team, but he's in. He's in training camp. So, Ugh. anyways, Mike, t- take us home on the Patriots. I mean, it's it's going to be Cam Newton at the start of the season, and it'll be quick to tell whether the Patriots are going to get the first three games worth of Cam Newton from last season when the Patriots scored ninety-two points and were just running all over the field. He was passing the ball well at least for his standards, or if they're going to get the post-COVID cam that was pulled, like we said, for multiple games, had eight INTs and six fumbles. So it's it, it, it's going to be a short leash for him because Mac Jones is a different quarterback than Jarrett Stidham. He's a first-round quarterback, not a you know third or fourth round, I believe it was, for Stidham. And this offense is actually made for a quarterback of Mac Jones' talents and ability. It's got a great offensive line. The backfield has a solid, a great runner in Damian Harris and a great receiving back in James White. So they have both sides on the field whenever they want. Two very good tight ends in John O. Smith and Hunter Henry that can block as well as catch short or catch more down the field. And at least an array of options at wide receiver, none of which are exactly you know, spectacular. If you're going to sit there and say Nelson Aguilar is going to bring the the hammer down downfield or anything along those lines so it's going to be perfect for a mac jones type the backfield is going to be a mixed match of i mean we've seen it before in patriots years do we ever when's the last time we've had a patriots running back that we felt confident going into the year it was going to be them that year and just set them and play them every single week 
Yeah, it really doesn't happen. The Patriots' backfield is always just so up and down. And it sounds like the Patriots will roll with Cam as long as they can. And it sounds like the 49ers are taking the same approach with their third overall pick, Trey Lance. They're going to keep Jimmy Gorgeous in as the starter as long as possible. Keep Lance from seeing the field. But can Jimmy G keep Trey Lance on the bench? And if so, who's he going to be handing it off primarily to? So like Raheem Mostert is seen as the guy, Jeff Wilson as the two. But now they've got competition from the draft in the form of third round pick, fourth running back off the board, six foot, 215 pound Trey Sermon. And they also took a running back in the sixth round, five foot, 10, 201 pound running back. Runs a 4-3-5 at his pro day that adjusts to a 4-4-0. Elijah Mitchell is just a phenomenal athlete. And then we add in free agent signee Wayne Gallman, and it's just a nightmare. So is there a chance that Jimmy G gets benched this year? Is there a chance that Raheem Mostert gets cut? And could we be looking at a dynamic duo of Trey Lance and Trey Sermon by October? Well, it's, it's going to be Jimmy G's job. That's the easy part of this question. Now, when it comes to the running backs, you just saw that they kept getting hurt last year. I mean, you couldn't keep a San Francisco running back on the field, it seemed. Somebody was going down at different parts of the game or having to fight through injuries to play the rest of the game. I just, out of them, it's probably going to start off with Mostert. I mean, I think you have it right. It's going to go Mostert and Wilson. Wilson was the most reliable, I think, last year with actually being able to stay somewhat healthy. Jeff Wilson for some reason, and I don't get it. Yeah, I have no idea. I mean, he was just a beast. He's one of those small guys that just pounds it. And so he just explodes through any hole that he finds and he's gone. As for the for the quarterback situation, I think this one is the most likely for Dre Lance or rookie quarterbacks to end in a redshirt season. You know, if Jimmy G remains healthy, and that's a big if, and I'm not going to would because I would love to see Jimmy G healthy. I don't think Lance will see the field unless they, you know, have a playoff spot clinched week 18 and we see him start a game a la Patrick Mahomes in his rookie year I think this is Jimmy G's job and I really believe that and Kyle Shanahan made that certain when they traded up for that pick so I believe in that but like Jason said the running back or the backfield is the biggest question most Mostert is the obvious front runner but you know Mostert has his injury issues like it's not just last year it's been you know mostly every year and even when his best year, that Super Bowl year, it was still splitting carries with Coleman and the rest of the guys. They traded up in the third round to get Sermon. So, you know, Shanahan sees something in him. And Jeff Wilson, you know, he knows the playbook. He's been around for a while and he's had success as the starter. So don't sleep on Jeff Wilson. I think, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, Jack, I think that you have the record for uh, most drafted uh, Jeff Wilson shares in underdog fantasy. Um, if I'm, I, there is a very good chance. I would, not, I would not be surprised by that. Jeff Wilson and Adam Troutman all the way. So it, it's a mixed bag, and it, it's sort of like you know, like take the temperature each week. Like who who is the hottest hand? Um, but you know, I'm not drafting Mostert probably this year because he was probably going to be overdraft. He's probably going to have a high ADP. I go for a guy like Wilson or even Sermon, uh, and keep him on my bench and kind of hope for the best and see if he, they're in a if they get put in a spot to succeed. And I tweeted about this uh, at Donald McJordan for those that are listening uh, about Wayne Goldman. I actually tweeted this. I said Wayne Goldman for one week will be the highest um, waiver pickup. During one week, whatever week he goes in and runs for like 180 yards, three touchdowns, everyone will pick him up and he'll be the the, the best waiver pickup of the season. And then he just won't do anything for this. That's just how the San Francisco backfield works. 
You know, they put guys in to succeed and it works because Kyle Shanahan is a wizard at run schemes. Yeah. And I mean, you'll definitely find Jeff Wilson on the waiver wire show. If you go to the YouTube channel for waiver wire, it's important. Nonsense.com. It's for sure. Waiver wire. It's going to be great this year. I'm yeah. so pumped for it. Look, look at us, Jason. We're just plugging our, our own, I uh, had to <laughs> our own stuff. Here we go. Just push this out there for you. All right. Can we get back to the show, please? Let's let's kick it over to Mike, who doesn't have some nefarious motivation to bring the spotlight all back on him. Mike, thank you for waiting your turn. I mean, if we're going to plug stuff, uh, no, I'm just kidding. But if, if we're looking at the 49ers with their quarterback situation, we're just sitting there and with how much they spent, obviously Trey Lance is going to be the quarterback at some point, whether it be this year, next year, you know, that's going to be a variable. But he only had 319 pass attempts in college. That's way too few for of experience to be able to actually start in the NFL in a rookie year, you would think. And but the only thing that will be is Jimmy G's past two of his past three seasons have had injury riddled seasons. So if history is telling us anything, he's probably not making it through this season. At least there's a 50-50 chance he spends some time on the injury report, which would mean that. Trey Lance is going to go and get some experience for one of the, for at least that reason. But if you look at the backfield, it takes a lot of fantasy managers to get angry at someone to give that coach a nickname. And Shanahanigans is just one of the best that there are in fantasy, but also it's been passed down from coach to coach in the Shanahan family of just aggravation in the backfield every single year seemingly i mean even with jeff wilson he has been anything from the goal line back that got three carries for two touchdowns to killing it last season at the end against the arizona cardinals and you know showing that he can actually be a full three down back for the team mostert has shown everything that he can if he's actually on the field and showing been healthy so we don't know what he's going to do because they were one of five teams last year that had three running backs get 80-plus carries. I don't think that's going to stop anytime soon. He's going to probably do that again next season, if not four running backs or five running backs. Who knows where it ends? That's why it's always important to roster the cheapest running back in the 49ers' backfield. So that does wrap up the rookie quarterbacks who are competing for a job. But what about the guys that are walking in, handing the job from day one? We know that Zach Wilson is going to start 17 games because he's backed up by two quarterbacks, never played an NFL snap in their life. So we have him for 17 games, QB 25 finish on the year. But that's literally all we know about this Jets offense. We've made the executive decision as a site. We have preemptively cut Jamison Crowder because we don't think the Jets are going to keep him after drafting Elijah Moore. But even without Crowder, we still have a three-way competition for targets between Corey Davis. He's our wide receiver 36, Denzel Mims, our wide receiver 49, and Elijah Moore, wide receiver 73. And it's not just the receivers giving us this headache either. We have Michael Carter, we have Tevin Coleman, LaMichael Pirine, and my personal favorite, Ty Johnson. They're all competing for touches in the backfield as well. And it seems like fourth round rookie Michael Carter leads our projections and people seem really excited about him. He's even going as early as the sixth round on underdog. It's absolutely ridiculous. Even so, with Michael Carter leading our projections, we have him as just the RB31, and that might be too high for the Jets' RB1, especially considering that he's a fourth-round rookie. There's no guarantees there, so 
this Jets offense just makes me feel so uncomfy. How do we feel about the messy Jets? Are we going to ground this plane? I mean, I it's just tough to really see a whole lot of value. It's going to be definitely a spot fill. So when there is a huge bye week, which I think this week is going to be week 14, if I remember correctly. But you can probably put one of them in. At that point, hopefully you'll have a better idea of who it is. Looking at it right now, I'm assuming that Coleman's going to be the guy who gets a start. He's one of the better backs, in my opinion. And until Carter really picks up the playbook the second half of the year, like that's somebody that you definitely want after the bye week is to make sure you're trading for Carter for hardly anything. Same thing. I think that Corey Davis, also the mature player, will be the one who steps into the wide receiver one, at least for the first part, until Elijah Moore really steps up. And again, it will really depend on what the Jets are doing with the new coaching staff. It's going to be curious to see how it ends up. And in any case, I had them all pretty similar in targets, so it doesn't really matter to me. And I I wouldn't kick Crowder to the curb until it officially happens because he's just talented and I really like him. Ugh, just frustrating. I could actually see him going to the Titans, so that also makes me kind of sick. Trust me when I say this, I really want to be a Michael Carter guy. Like, I really do, but don't fully count out Tevin Coleman. He's going to be familiar with Mike LaFleur's system coming from the 49ers, so I believe he will be the presumptive running back one at the beginning of the season. And depending on Carter's draft day price, you know, he could be a nice stash if he can grasp the starting role later in the season. Or or if Coleman gets hurt, you know, Coleman doesn't have the best, uh, it does have the best availability in his career. As for the wide receivers, this is a crowded receiver room, uh, but we believe the actual Crowder, and I hated saying this, but it's true, he's going to be on a different team. Like Jack said, we don't have projections for him. He could be a cut. He, he's worth a lot of money. They just drafted Elijah Moore, who's going to take over that slot receiver role. And he could, and I'm talking about Elijah Moore here, he could be Zach Wilson's leading man by the season's end. But they have some really good options. They brought in Corey Davis. They have Denzel Mims, who a lot of people were high on, and he was kind of suffocated by the Adam Gase offense. Like, he doesn't even have a touchdown yet. He's still looking for his first career touchdown, which is certain to happen this year. I believe in this offense. I think it'll be at least better, and I know it's not saying much because of the Adam Gase thing, but, you know, the bar is on the floor for this. Uh, if I'm going to pick the leading receiver by the end of the, the season, I would go with Davis, but don't count out Elijah Moore. Yeah, I, I think that Tevin Coleman is all but guaranteed to be the week one guy just because of like, you know, you said, Jordan, it, he's coming. He was brought over from San Fran with LaFleur, with Sala. Like he was their choice to come into this backfield and help ease in the rest of the backfield to what the terminology is going to be, to what they want from a running back. So it's love going to be him in week one. And he's been solid. Prior to whenever he was injured, it was a, 2020 was his first year where he didn't have a 4.0 average for yards per carry, and he didn't have at least uh, 90 carries in a season. So he's a solid running back that can get what you want if you want just a plotter that's going to get in front of you and through your line and get a couple yards. Michael Carter, though, sitting there is going to at some point talent-wise, should take over that backfield. Because if you look at him, he basically split right down the middle with Javante Williams, the second-round pick that went to Denver in U at UNC. They literally split right down the middle. 182 touches for Carter, 181 touches for Williams. 
8.3 yards per touch for Carter, 8 yards per touch for Williams. So, I mean, he's a talented back. There's no doubt about it. So his receiving ability and explosiveness is going to get him on this field at some point. And if we're looking at the wide receivers, it's going to be one of those where it's, it's a bunch of guys that haven't proven it over the long haul at all. Corey Davis had his best career year on his, in his contract year, which obviously all players want, but it leaves them. It leaves a curious situation for them when they arrive at their next destination. So their new team, you don't know exactly what to expect. If I had to pick one, I'm picking Elijah Moore because I think that Zach Wilson will be able to get a rapport with him early through the camp, through mini camp, rookie camp and everything else through the off season and get comfortable with the slot. And I think that Elijah Moore is just a great playmaker to be able to make plays short and downfield. And that will finally bring us to the rookie quarterback that you've all been waiting for, Sunshine Trevor Lawrence and his Jacksonville Jaguars. Unfortunately, Urban Meyer kind of looking like the next Cliff Kingsbury, looking like a fraud with some of the decisions he's made so far, one of them being spending a first-round pick on a running back. However, he did make this mistake. We can come to the conclusion that Travis Etienne is the Jaguars' lead back. And I'm sorry for James Robinson fans. I really am. But the dream is dead. He was great for a moment, just like Philip Lindsay, just like James Conner, just like Carlos Hyde, just like Jordan Howard, and so on and so forth. These between the tackle grinders, they have nothing on a Travis Etienne, who is the entire package, size, speed, freak, with receiving ability. And if you are projecting James Robinson to out-touch a healthy Travis Etienne, I don't know what to tell you other than I'm sorry that you enjoy being wrong. Well, I mean, I do enjoy being wrong. So, yeah, I think that it's Robinson's job at least oh, for the first few weeks. No. A few weeks, sure. But, no, end of season, Travis Etienne, he's, he's taking all. Yeah, but we see this every year unless it is something that it's just off the chart, which he very well could be. I mean, he is an excellent runner. That is for sure. But, again, it's James Robinson's job. He's been through the yearbook or playbook, sorry, from last year. He's learned a lot and showed that he could be – a very talented back. So I could see it being another thing that you wait until the bye week and maybe they switch over because it's Jacksonville and I doubt they're going to be winning a whole lot of games. So with that in mind, yeah, I'm just one of those things that I could see Robinson out touching ETN for that reason alone. No, absolutely not. Can I get that, uh, that audio of Jason saying, I like being wrong just for my own personal collection. I yeah, would we're going to have to clip that. That's I would to love to have that. Um, but it, yeah, we said it during the, the ranking summit. You don't draft a guy in the first round if you're not going to utilize him. Rashad Penny aside. Anyways, you know, he's got that connection with T-Law and it seems that Robinson could eventually take a back seat if ATN balls out. You know, James Robinson kind of thrust into this role. They got rid of Leonard Fournette last season. Raquel Armstead had the issues after COVID, so he couldn't play the season. And Divide Zigbo had the hamstring injury before week one so it was literally james robinson and that was it and and granted he ran with that role no pun intended and kept kept that lead back role for the rest of the season it had a phenomenal season but it it's a new system it's it's a new regime it's, it's urban meyer and it, if you're drafting a running back in the first round he doesn't have much faith in james robinson and i'm sorry to say that but it's true 
he's all and Urban Meyer. Speaking of him, he's giving wide receiver reps to ATN at rookie minicamp, whatever that means. But that does suggest that he's automatically the best PPR option. So even all around, I think ATN is going to be the guy. And I feel bad for James Robinson because he has a great story being a UDFA, but it's the end of the line. Yeah, he's going to likely go the route of some other UDFAs, rookie phenoms that kind of fell off a year or two into it, like Philip Lindsay and guys like that. I mean, all signs are pointing toward it has to be ETN being the guy in Jacksonville backfield that you want. I mean, Robinson was the UDFA from last year that balled out, but this is a different regime. Could think completely different about how he looks. Could think that he isn't even actually, like it was just a you know fluke season in some way. Hyde was there, is there because, I don't know, Urban Meyer wants a blast from the past for the Ohio State days or something along those lines. Or, he's just there. And as we everyone has really said, even the first real draft pick that Urban Meyer made, because Trevor Lawrence was a given. You know, they were going to take Trevor Lawrence number one overall. So the first pick that they actually had to think about what their decision was going to be, it was Travis Etienne. I know there was reports about we want Kadarius, we want Kadarius Tony and things like that. Well, not the smartest reports to put out there, but you have ETN, you picked ETN, and with the, him taking reps at wide receiver and everything, it's going to be interesting to see because he only had he only lined up at wide receiver about 80 times in college, so he hasn't done it a lot, but he did show that he can catch the ball well throughout, especially in his senior season. And it'll just be interesting to see if they eventually think he can carry the workload in the backfield as a runner because he only had two games of 20-plus carries in his entire collegiate career. So it'll be, be a work in progress, to say the least. That wraps up all the rookie quarterbacks, but it's not just the rookies that we're excited about. And Joe Burrow isn't the only second-year quarterback that we're high on. We really didn't have time to talk about the Bengals today. We They're not controversial or surprising. They're going to be great. They're going to pass the ball. They're going to put up video game numbers. And the same thing for the Chargers. Not controversial, not surprising. You can't be shocked that Justin Herbert is QB7 in our projections. You're not allowed to be surprised if Justin Herbert is the QB1 overall. It's not allowed, and you're not allowed to be surprised if the Chargers make a Super Bowl run. I'm sorry, Justin Herbert is incredible. You just have to accept it. Not controversial, so we'll move on. I'm sorry, Jason. But there is a second-year quarterback who is controversial, and based on the rankings from other sites, sounds like a whole lot of people are going to be surprised when Jalen Hurts rushes for over 800 yards and finishes as a top-six quarterback. Like, seriously, I'm not kidding. You are almost certainly too low on Jalen Hurts in 2021. Yeah, that's 100% the case because I actually have him rushing for over a 1,000 yards. So (laughs) I'm going to say that's definitely one of the crazier things here because, man, it's impressive for Jalen Hurts to just do his thing. And over the last part of the last year, he looked just excellent. You know, I think asking for a 1,000 yards from Hurts is, is asking for a lot. And... I'll get into the running backs, but you know, if the Eagles are serious about winning football games, they will utilize Hurts' rushing abilities. You, you, we love these quarterbacks in fantasy with the sky-high rushing floor that props them up every week. But what happens when they get down? Like they didn't really do much to improve that defense. That defense is still kind of what average at best. So if they have to, if he, they have to rely on Hurts to sling the ball. You know, they have to rely on Devontae Smith, who's a rookie, Jalen Rager who is a sophomore, but he's learning a new offense again. 
And if they get rid of Ertz, like that, that, that's not a good sign. That's why I hope they hold on to Ertz just to help Jalen Hurts through the bumps and bruises of, of his sophomore season. But you know, you you should expect Hurts to be running a lot. I agree with that, Jack. Um, and that will prop him up, and he he should end up QB ten if all goes right. But if he's rushing for a thousand yards, like Jason says, these running backs are going to lose their own uh, production from that. But we're trying to like figure out who's going to be the guy here, and and we early indication is that Sanders will be the RB one. But for how long? They drafted Gainwell, and you know he could actually gain well on Sanders in the race for that top spot. I am interested in carry on Johnson. I think he's the wild card here. Most of the industry has declared him dead. I personally want to see him prove them wrong. I hope carry on is, is the guy in this backfield. I don't think it's going to happen, but I just, I, I think carry on Johnson has got a bad rap. He, he, he looks well. And he has a bad rap. You know what? <laughs> you know what, Jack, all you got to do is keep Cobb and carry on. Uh, no, 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 no. Hey, you know what? At least I'm not trying to like pump the tires for Jordan Howard. Okay, give me a break. Yeah, it's all trash there. Let's be honest. I, I don't think that not saying something good about Jordan Howard is really helping your case in that. <laughs> I mean, but if we're looking at Hurts and his ability to be successful in this season, it's going to be with his legs. We saw last year that his arms just not got it really, at least not right now. He could improve on it. Who knows? We'll see. But in, when he's in his starts to end the season from 14 on, he has many designed runs as Lamar Jackson. So if he can do that and do that well, then we know what rushing floors can do for a quarterback in fantasy football. It is the, the primo attribute you want for any quarterback is to be able to have that count accountability for that bottom line at least some rushing yards every single game with the chance of rushing touchdowns and such and Jalen Hurts has that we will close things out with the reigning defending undisputed avocado drink tequila drinking Super Bowl champions the Tampa Bay Buccaneers the Tampa Bay Gronkineers Tom Brady is back all the pass catchers are back. The defense is back. There is only one question in Tampa. After a Super Bowl run where Lombardi Len had 92 touches, including 18 receptions for 448 yards, compared to 35 carries, 139 yards, and zero receptions from Ronald Jones. This absolutely has to be Leonard Fournette's backfield, correct? Yeah, I believe so. You know, Tom Brady came out and he said that he was still trying to learn Bruce Arians' playbook halfway through the season. Now think about Fournette. Fournette like just got to the Buccaneers like week one. So I kind of think that he was having troubles too. And then we saw in the playoffs, he finally got, finally started to understand the offense and he played exceptionally well. That's why he has the name Lombardi Len. So I think it is Lombardi Len. But I do want to say I am intrigued by the Giovanni Bernard signing because I think that Tampa Bay wants to add a new wrinkle to this offense because, you know, they brought everybody back, but they don't want to remain stagnant. Otherwise, they're probably not going to make it to the to the Super Bowl again. So I think Bernard will come in. He's going to be the main guy catching passes out of this backfield because, you know, Ronald Jones hasn't really proven that he could be that guy. And I think Lombardi Len will be toting the rock in the run game. He'll be the the... So it's a bell cow. I don't think he'll put up bell cow numbers, but you know what I mean. 
So I, I'm expecting a lesser role for Rojo, but you can't count him out completely because we did that last year and he was still, he still had a lot of productive games. Also make sure to pour one out for our boy, Keyshawn Vaughn. We hardly knew the seems to be forgotten. Now he's, it seems like he's just going to be relegated to special teams. You know, we, we had high hopes last year and then they added all these running backs. So we're, uh, we're thinking of you, Keyshawn. Yeah, as a Keyshawn Vaughn owner in some dynasty stuff, that that I will be sure to do that. But I know that we're gonna wa- the fans at least are gonna want Lombardi Lenny. Uh, that run in the playoffs earned him a nickname. You know what nicknames do for players? They make him a fan favorite. They make him someone that you know the team wants to be able to put in the forefront. But I think Bruce Arians has too much of a soft spot for uh, Ronald Jones to be able to just push him aside and Ronald Jones was seemed to be more productive on the field when it came to running the ball last year. It was just injuries would hamper both of them really. Uh, But one thing they both failed at horribly was the receiving game. Uh, The Tampa Bay backfield combined for 15 drops on just 114 targets, which was the most in the NFL. And for reference, James White, Tom Brady's old best friend, over in New England that he passed to for every you know every couple downs it seemed like he has 17 career drops in the regular season on 459 targets so i think that Giovanni Bernard can be that safety blanket and he's going to be somebody that Tom Brady will be real good friends with I personally think that Gio Bernard is nothing nothing more than LaShawn McCoy 2.0 he's just there to get a ring at the end of his career and that's okay I don't blame them for that, but that's going to do it from us here on the Important Nonsense Podcast, and it just feels so good to be back. Jason, any parting thoughts for all of our friends out there that have missed you during the cold winter months? Yeah, you can still find me everywhere at that F, F nerd. literally everywhere. You can find me, you know, Discord, I'm in the chat there, I'm on the Fancy Life app, I'm on Twitter, I'm wherever you want to find me, you can. I'm totally available. I even have that F, F nerd on Xbox and Activision. I'm just saying, if you want to play, I'm down. And it's been such a long offseason that I am ready for football. Can it come any quicker, Jack? I want it to happen. Oh, at least we get preseason this year, so it will come a little bit quicker. But it's good to have you back, Jason. I am so excited to be creating content with you coming up. So make sure you give him a follow at that FF nerd and good to have you for a first time, Mike. Do you have any parting words for all your newly won over fans out there in the metaphorical stands? Just glad to be doing it. It's always good to be able to sit there and just talk some football with a few people. Uh, and it, this has been a great experience. I'm going to be ready for this to be happening a lot more often. I uh, look, I'm going to be doing this. Pretty frequently look for my stuff on the website for important nonsense articles and all and can't get right you can't get can't come soon enough is right for when the football season's gonna start be sure to follow mike at underscore mike underscore manning and be sure to follow jordan everywhere at donald mcjordan now i'm giving him the shameless plug even though he did it himself during the podcast i will not forgive him for that and but i we're probably even now because i know he's probably furious we didn't talk any indianapolis colts i'm sure he's upset with me so we can have mutual anger towards each other so jordan any last words 
Yeah, I thought we were going to talk about the Colts because you started off the podcast talking about the Super Bowl favorites, but then you erroneously went to the Ravens. So it, 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 it's okay. okay. But uh, if anybody wonders what uh, me and Dan Orlowski have in common, we both think Carson Wentz are going to win the MVP. So just in case you're wondering about <laughs> that. Oh, boy. Wow. Okay. Well, it's always it's always good to leave people with a joke, isn't it, Jordan? Uh, thank you very much, and thank you all for tuning in. I've been your host at Javanaugh87, Jack Cavanaugh, and after a long winter away, it just feels so good to be back in your ears. You are all wonderful. You are important. And with fantasy football season back, I implore you, don't forget to keep up the nonsense. Music for this podcast is provided by Lee Rosevere. I'm Tim Kitzer from NBA Jam and NFL Blitz, and you can find all the guys at importantnonsense.com. Kaboom!